This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence that some people may find offensive. We advise caution for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Celtic traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. As a group of young boys sparred, training for war, their instructor, Cathbad the Druid, called them together. Cathbad had a talent for telling the future and liked to share his visions with his charges. Today is an auspicious day. I have seen a great sign of things to come. Any warrior who takes arms before the sun is down will have everlasting fame. The boys erupted into excited conversation, while at the back of the group, Kukulin grew quiet. At only seven years old, Kukulin was the youngest of the boys in training, but he was also the bravest. He snuck away from the group and found his uncle, King Konkabar, in the armory. Kukulin knelt before him and asked to be given a sword. After hearing of Cathbad's prophecy, Konkabar thought for a moment and then swept his arm toward the swords covering the walls, allowing the boy to choose whichever weapon he desired. Kukulin carefully surveyed the weapons, his eyes fixed on the largest one, usually carried by the strongest men in Konkabar's army. Konkabar smirked as Kukulin reached for it, but his smirk turned to awe as Kukulin not only easily lifted it, but swung it as though it weighed nothing. Behind them, Cathbad appeared in the doorway. What are you doing? Kukulin told me your prophecy and asked to be armed today. Now, everlasting fame will be his. Oh, Kukulin, I wish you had stayed for the end of my prophecy. Yes, any warrior who takes arms today will gain everlasting fame. But his life will also be short and tragic. Is... is there nothing we can do for the boy? Can this be reversed? There is no turning back. His fate is sealed. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. 
Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're focusing on the Irish hero, Cúchulainn, a fearsome warrior in the ancient Celtic kingdom of Ulad, who transformed into a terrifying beast during battle. Cúchulainn was born with the name Setanta, but later earned the nickname Cúchulainn, which translates to Cúlainn's Hound. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com slash merch for more information. The myth of Cúchulainn is part of a group of Irish mythological stories known as the Ulster Cycle. During this time period, Ireland was split into several kingdoms that were often at war. The stories in the Ulster Cycle take place in Ulad, a kingdom in the northeastern part of Ireland, during the reign of King Conchobar. The Ulad are frequently in conflict with their enemies, the Connachta, led by their queen, Maeve, and her husband, Alil. The myths combine elements of ancient, pre-Christian Ireland with medieval practices that mirror what was happening when the stories were first written down. Parts of the Ulster Cycle also resemble myths from other cultures. The story of Cúchulainn has similarities to myths about Persian and Germanic heroes, and in particular, the Greek myth of Heracles, another heroic demigod. The religion depicted in the Ulster Cycle is polytheistic, or as Christians would later call it, pagan. Gods sometimes appear in the stories, but generally the myths center on the mortal people who lived in King Conchobar's court at Iman Maka. The myth of Cúchulainn begins at Iman Maka, where the knights and ladies of the kingdom were enjoying a great feast. The king's sister, Dectra, had just married Soltim, the first son in a wealthy aristocratic family. But Dectra's beauty was so great that she attracted another admirer, the god Lu. Lu was a youthful warrior and the god of truth and art. As he looked upon Dectra, he decided that he must have her. And so when Dectra grew thirsty and asked for a glass of wine, Lu disguised himself as a fly and landed in her cup. Dectra accidentally swallowed Lu along with her wine, and the god's magic caused her to grow tired. She went into her chambers to lie down, accompanied by her fifty ladies-in-waiting. As she slept, Lu appeared to her. He revealed that he was the fly and commanded her and the maidens to follow him. The god turned them into a flock of birds, and they flew to his home to live with him. When Dectra and her maidens were discovered missing, the kingdom was thrown into an uproar. King Conchobar searched for his sister everywhere, but she was nowhere to be found. For a year, the kingdom mourned the loss of Dectra. On the anniversary of her disappearance, the king set out a great feast in her memory in the fields outside of the castle. As the lords and ladies sat eating, a great flock of birds swarmed the fields and devoured every blade of grass. The king and his knights immediately leapt onto their horses and followed the birds as they flew away, 
intent on killing them in vengeance for ruining the memorial of his sister. They chased the birds across the country, and when night fell, they came across a manor house. When they knocked, a handsome young man answered and offered the king and all his knights food and lodging for the night. The next morning, when King Conkobar awoke, the man was gone, but the king heard the cry of a child. Following the cry, he entered a large room and found his sister holding a baby accompanied by her 50 maidens. Dectra, I thought you lost to the world, but you are alive. Which brigand's home is this that I might punish him for your abduction? My king, I think it was no brigand. I think that young man was Lu, warrior god of truth. The baby Dectra reeks of his divinity. Dectra, is this true? Have you born the child of a god? Dectra explained how the god Lu had taken her away and then impregnated her. She had named the child Satanta. With Lu's blessing, Dectra returned to her husband Soltim to live in his castle at Mudhemna. Soltim agreed to raise Satanta as his own, but King Konkabar decided that the child of a god could not be raised by one father alone. He made several of the nobles in his court foster fathers so that Satanta would learn the best habits and skills of each of them. Dectra still tried to give Satanta a normal childhood, despite his divine heritage. She kept him safe with her at Mudhemna, learning from his foster fathers and playing with other children. But one day, when he was seven years old, he happened to overhear some of the nobles at his house talking about the training grounds at Imenmaka. He ran to his mother, eager to learn more about this exciting place, but she told him that he was far too young to go to the training grounds. Satanta listened to her at first, but the more he thought of battle and training, the more tempting the training grounds became. He imagined himself learning from great warriors, fighting in great battles, and gaining the praise and glory of his people as a mighty man. Of course, he would never be able to achieve greatness stuck in his mother's home. He prayed to his father, Lu, asking that his mother forgive him for disobeying, and at sunfall, he snuck away. He brought nothing with him but a hurling stick and a ball, and walked all night. By the next afternoon, he saw the great castle at Iman Maka rise above him. The village around the castle was humming with people, far more than Satanta had ever seen in his young life. He asked for directions to the training grounds and was pointed to a field under the shadow of the castle's battlements. Satanta yelped with excitement as he saw all the boys practicing with dummy swords. Despite the fact that many of the boys were twice his age and size, he ran onto the field. However, Satanta was unaware of the training ground's rules. Cathbad and King Konkabar were surveying their recruits when Satanta ran onto the field. At once, a great roar went up among the other boys, and they immediately surrounded Satanta. Who is that? Some overexcited peasant child, no doubt. The boys will soon teach him a lesson. Satanta watched as the other boys circled around him. 
not quite the welcome he had expected. One boy stepped forward and smacked Satanta across the head with his wooden training sword. Satanta, surprised, fell backward onto the ground, shocked. He'd never been attacked before, and never had he imagined someone would swing at him without reason. This attack was unjust and unprompted. Satanta's hackles were slowly raising. His father was the god of justice. How could Satanta allow such an injustice to be committed against him? Without quite knowing what he was doing, he jumped to his feet and let out a feral scream. Across the training ground, Cathbad and King Conkabar were shocked into action. They ran over to the crowd of boys. As the king and Cathbad pushed the mob aside, they saw a blur of motion at its center. The boy who had run onto the training ground was fighting the trainees off single-handedly without a weapon. When they struck him with their wooden swords, the boy seemed not to feel it at all. That's no peasant boy. Stop! Stop this at once! Cathbad pushed the boys away from Satanta, who stood at the center of the group, chest heaving with anger. Conkabar stepped forward with a pleased smile on his face. Everyone, this is my nephew, Satanta. It seems he's grown into a warrior already. Satanta, is it? Well, you might be strong, but you've a lot to learn. You neglected to ask for the boys' protection before you entered the training grounds. That's why they attacked you. Satanta thought for a moment, then asked the boys for their protection. Around him, the older boys nodded begrudgingly. Satanta smiled, then told them that now they must ask for protection from him. Cathbad tried to stop him, but Satanta was already running after the other boys, tackling each of them in turn. So that's your nephew? He seems reckless. He's the son of a god. But Cathbad watched Satanta with concern. Satanta was clearly special and could become a great warrior, but godly power in such a young boy could also be dangerous. What would happen if the boy lost control? We'll see how Satanta gains his famous name after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now back to the story. After proving his strength upon arriving at the training grounds at Iman Maka, Satanta was asked by King Konkabar to stay at the castle to continue his training rather than return home to his mother. A few months after Satanta's arrival, the king decided to go to the house of a famous smith named Kulin for dinner. He and his retinue set out for the smith's house. As they passed by the training ground, Satanta caught Konkabar's eye. The boys were playing a game of hurling, similar to lacrosse, using their sticks to try to get the ball, or slither, through the goalposts. Satanta was the best of the lot. 
His speed allowed him to dart through the other players with ease. Satanta, once you've won, join me for dinner. Satanta waved at the king and smiled, signaling that he would join him soon, and the king proceeded on to Kulin's house. But after a few cups of wine, the king forgot that he had invited Satanta to join him. Kulin, believing anyone else who stepped on his land would be a trespasser, released his hound to protect his grounds. Kulin's hound was a fierce beast that took three chains and eight strong men to restrain, and when it roamed loose, no one dared to steal Kulin's cattle. The great beast roamed through the night, his nose to the air, protecting the smith's lands. Around the same time, Satanta's game of hurling ended, and he set off toward Kulin's house to join the king. He brought his hurling stick and slither with him, playing a game of toss and catch along the way. The night air was cold, and though the moon was full, a thick fog covered the moors. The great hound caught Satanta's scent as the young boy, still only seven years old, blithely walked along the dirt road. He was just able to discern the lights from the torches at the house when he heard the first howl. Satanta stiffened and gripped his hurling stick more tightly. He tried to squint through the damp fog around him, but it lay thick upon the ground. From up ahead, the great hound appeared. It stood over twice as tall as the young boy, and spit dripped from its bared fangs. Inside Kulin's house, the king heard the beasts howling. Oh, gods, forgive me. Satanta's out there. We have to help him. Konkobar, Kulin, and the rest of the household raced outside. The hound's handlers prepared the chains to restrain the great beast, but as they warily made their way through the fog, the small figure of Satanta appeared in front of them, unharmed. Satanta, what happened to the hound? The young boy pointed behind himself as the wind shifted, the fog cleared. The body of the giant hound was revealed on the dirt road. Its mouth was open, and Satanta's slither could be seen lodged in its throat. Konkobar cheered at the boy's conquest, knowing that even a grown warrior would have had a difficult time felling the great beast. Satanta enjoyed the praise, but he watched as Kulin knelt beside his hound, tears falling from his eyes. Satanta realized what he had done. Not only had Kulin lost his friend, his cattle would remain unprotected. Satanta felt a twinge of guilt. He needed to make this right. He approached Kulin and apologized, offering to defend Kulin's lands until another hound could be raised as a replacement. Kulin shook his hand and accepted the offer. My nephew Satanta, the Hound of Kulin. We should call you Kukulin from now on. <laughs> it suits you. Satanta had earned the name he would be called for the rest of his life. Kukulin continued his training at Iman Maka, learning both skills in battle and worldly knowledge from the druid Kathbad. By night, he kept his word, guarding the home of Kulin the smith until another hound had grown. 
But then the fateful day came when Cathbad made his prophecy and Cuchulain took arms. His impulsiveness had sealed his fate. He would have everlasting fame, but his life would be short. As Cathbad grieved the young boy's recklessness, Cuchulain told his teacher that everlasting fame is a worthwhile trade-off for a short life. Cathbad admired Cuchulain's bravery, but it still pained him to think that he would outlive his young student, whom he'd begun to think of as a surrogate son. Almost ten years passed, and Cuchulain grew into a handsome young man. His hair was golden bronze, and his eyes were an almost unnatural blue. He longed to prove himself on the battlefield, but the kingdom had been at peace for years, until one night when he found the king in a terrible mood. Five more? Five more? How can these fiends claim five more of my men without so much as a scratch? Uncle. Have my men not trained enough? Are they not keeping watch? Uncle. Who has been killing your men? It's the damned sons of Nectanskina. The spiteful witch still holds a grudge from twenty years ago when her husband was killed in battle by my soldiers. Has she forgotten that people die in warfare? What justice is there in her killing now? Justice? She cares not for justice. She only cares for vengeance. She's raised her boys to think of nothing but retribution and crossing all of Ulad saying they've killed more Ulstermen than they've left alive. Well, this Ulsterman won't allow it. I'll put an end to their injustices. Without waiting for a reply, Cuchulain ran out of the castle and leapt upon the king's own chariot. With his sword, the king's spear, and his trusty slither, he traveled on horseback across Ulad. Cuchulain rode day and night until he approached a cliff that towered over a great river. He followed the cliff to a house, its lawn lined with the skulls of Ulstermen. He saw a great stone pillar standing at the edge of the lawn with intricate writing that warned of death for any who came near. Cuchulain shouted out his challenge to the sons of Nectinskina. The oldest son, Foyle, peered out the window. Seeing just a teenage boy, he sneered, thinking he'd make quick work of him. Foyle stepped outside to face him, sword raised. Eldest son of Nectinskina, meet your match. The Ulstermen will suffer your vile murders no longer. Before Foyle could respond, Cuchulain picked up his slither, then threw the ball so hard that it not only pierced Foyle's head, but came out the other side, leaving a hole so large in his skull that sky could be seen through it. Foyle fell to his knees, then slumped to the ground, dead. Inside the house, Foyle's brothers leapt to their feet with alarm. Tachel, the second son, grabbed his sword and ran out to meet Cuchulain. Cuchulain picked up King Conchobar's spear and launched it toward Tachel. Tachel brought up his shield, but Cuchulain had thrown the spear with such strength that it went straight through the shield, through Tachel's armor, and pierced his heart. Fainal, the youngest son, watched his brother's death from inside the house. 
Grimly, he lowered his helmet's visor and strode out to meet Ku Cullen. So the Ulstermen, weak and vile, have finally found themselves a champion. Tell me, boy, do you fight for money? Women? Table scraps at Conkabar's trough? My name is Ku Cullen. I fight for the honor of my countrymen and the justice of my king. Your petty massacre ends here. You call yourself a dog and yet you speak of justice? What does a lowly hound know of justice? I will kill you and then I will kill your master and only then will justice be met. Only then will my father be avenged. At that, Fainal charged Kukulin, knocking him backward off the cliff, plummeting toward the river below. The two wrapped around each other like snakes in midair, both maintaining a grip on each other's swords as they struggled to end the other's life. They hit the water like a meteor, sending up waves that leapt over the banks on both sides. Underneath the water, Kukulin felt a rush inside him, It was like the anger that had overtaken him years ago when he'd rushed onto the field at Eamon Maka. But this time it was bigger, more out of control. He felt his body changing, his armor creaking as his body pressed against it from the inside. His spine seemed to expand and arch. The bones of his skull shifted. As he resurfaced, Fainal shrank away from the monster that was now in front of him. Ku Cullen had transformed. His helmet had fallen off, and one eye bulged out under a misshapen skull. His neck had grown thick like a bull, and his mouth gaped open as though his jaw had unhinged. Fainal watched this change happen in horror, swimming out of the river onto the banks. He tried to stand, but his leg had broken in the fall. Have the Ulstermen no morals? They kill a man in an unjust war, then send a beast possessed by dark magic to murder his sons? I curse Conkabar and his entire evil country. With my dying breath, I curse you. Fainal tried to backpedal, but Kukulin lifted his sword and chopped off his head in one clean stroke. But with the battle over, Kukulin's mind did not return to him. As a hulking, lumbering beast, he grabbed Fainal's severed head and clambered back up the cliff like an animal. He seized the heads of the other two brothers and climbed back onto his chariot as his horses whinnied with fear. Even the long ride back to Eamon Maka did not calm him, and as he approached the castle, the terrified guards ran to warn Conkabar and Cathbad. The king and the druid rushed to the battlements to see only a monster below. That's my chariot and horses. It must be Kukulin. But what in the name of the gods has happened to him? I would say it's dark magic, but I cannot detect any sort of spell. No, it seems his godly nature must have overtaken him. He looks mad, Cathbad. And you say this is godly? The man is frenzied. 
He can't tell friend from foe. His visage is certainly horrific. But I think Riastrid is a godly version of the thirst for blood that soldiers get in the battlefield. Just give me time to figure out a way to calm him down. Fine. But until then, no one go near him. He's too dangerous. Think quickly, Cathbad. If we don't get him under control, he'll kill every last man in this castle. We'll learn how Cathbad calmed Kukulin after this. And now, back to the story. Kukulin, son of the god Lu and nephew to King Konkabar of Ulad, had killed the three sons of Nekdenskine, fierce warriors who sought vengeance against the king. But he had returned from battle to Emin Maka in a warp spasm, and he was unable to morph back into his normal form. King Konkabar and Kathbad debated over what to do. We have to get him under control before he kills my guards in a rage. His mind is hard and has gained a thirst for blood. I think we must remind him of the softer things in life. I have an idea. Kukulin had torn down the castle's gates, and he stood, snorting in the courtyard of the castle like an angry bull. As he tore apart a merchant's wagon, Kathbad led out 50 of the women of Emin Maka. Quickly, quickly! Line up, quickly, or we may all die! Startled into action, the women formed a line in front of Kukulin. Kukulin turned to face them, his already swollen eyes contorting in confusion. His head shook as his mind slowly processed what he was seeing. His mental frenzy held, and he lowered himself onto his haunches, preparing to charge. Prepare yourselves, ladies. Only move when he rushes forward. Now! In perfect unison, the 50 women dropped their dresses, bearing their naked bodies for Kukulin to see. Wow. Even in his warp spasm, Kukulin felt too embarrassed to look at their naked bodies and lowered his head. His system was shocked, and he slowly shifted back to normal. Kathbad, I don't know what happened to me. One moment I was fighting, the next. It must be a symptom of your divine heritage. It will be a great advantage in battle, but you must learn to control yourself once the battle is done, lest you cause harm to those closest to you. Kukulin's bravado disappeared as Cathbad's words sunk in. All he'd thought about was becoming a great warrior. He hated the idea that he might be a danger to his own countrymen. But how? We'll work on it together. Come inside the castle now, and leave the heads outside. Word of Kukulin's terrifying transformation soon spread throughout the kingdoms. Enemies who would have marched on Emin Maka stayed home, not wishing to risk open combat with the monster. Meanwhile, Cathbad taught Kukulin control of his demons by learning to breathe through his anger. But the teenage boy's mind began to stray, the sight of the naked women had awoken something buried beneath his hunger for battle. He found himself longing for a wife, and he wasn't the only one who wanted him wed. One day, Konkobar called his nephew to see him. I've just had a visit from my noblemen, and they have a serious concern about you. 
What have I done now? Grown too handsome, apparently. They're all worried that you're going to steal their wives from them. Well, perhaps I will. No. I want to keep the important families happy. No need for a civil war. You may have any unmarried woman at Imanmaka that you like. I don't want any of them. Come. Some of them are quite beautiful. Not beautiful enough for me. And she must not only be beautiful. She must be skilled in all feminine arts. Clever. Kind. A good singer. Oh, is that all? <laughs> well, because you're my favorite nephew, here's what I'll do. We'll travel the whole of my kingdom, and we won't stop until we find you a suitable wife. They stopped at the homes of all the king's most important lords, who were eager to have the heroic Kukulin marry their daughters. But none caught Kukulin's eye. The two began to lose hope of ever finding a suitable wife when they arrived at the southernmost tip of the kingdom at a town called Lusk. Lusk was ruled by Forgal Monek, known as Forgal the Wily. Kukulin had heard that his daughter, Emer, was beautiful, but he'd heard that about many of the other young women in the kingdom, and they had all been disappointments. None had the beauty, skills, charisma, or strong sense of justice that he wished to find in his future wife. Upon Kukulin's arrival in Lusk, Forgal Monek organized a great feast and housed the king and his nephew in the finest rooms at his castle. As Kukulin changed out of his travel clothing, he opened the window of his room. A soft breeze carried in the smell of flowers, and on the wind he heard the lilting melody of a harp, more beautiful than any harp he'd heard before. He left his room, drawn by the music, the song rang familiar in his ears, and its sound pulled his mind back to rare moments when Cathbad would take a break from teaching combat and entertain his students with the druidic songs of old. Following his ears, he finally came upon a small courtyard. There, surrounded by ladies-in-waiting, he found the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. He hovered by the doorway, listening, as the song came to an end, the young woman's hands fell back to her lap, and she looked up directly into Kukulin's eyes. He felt his stomach drop. He was momentarily speechless, his mind racing for something to say. You're quite the musician. Oh? The ladies-in-waiting looked at him in confusion, and it was a moment before he realized why. The song had not only pulled his mind to Cathbad's music, it had brought his thoughts to the expressions of the gods and druids contained within the song. He had accidentally spoken to her in the ancient druidic tongue. He was about to open his mouth to explain when the young woman spoke. Shockingly, she responded in the same language. You're eavesdropping. I can leave. If you like. But Kukulin stayed frozen in the doorway, enjoying the fact that the other women had no idea what they were saying. You must be Emer. I've heard stories about you. And do I live up to them? Not at all. You're far more beautiful than they say. One of Emer's maidens whispered to her, I'm told we must go prepare for the feast tonight. 
I'll see you at the feast then. I'm looking forward to it, Kukulin. As the maidens stood in a sweep of fabrics, Kukulin dashed down the hallway and into Konkobar's room. I've met her. Who? Her. Emer, Forgol's daughter. She's the one. I'm sure of it. We only just arrived. She's the only woman for me, uncle. Promise me that you'll ask Forgol for her hand. I don't care about the dowry. I'm sure you won't need to worry about that. You're my nephew, and a hero. He'll be honored you have chosen her. That night at the feast, as Kukulin and Emer sat next to each other, whispering in each other's ears, Konkabar leaned over to his host. As you might have noticed, your daughter and my nephew seem to be well-matched. In fact, Kukulin has already made up his mind. Ah. Please. Don't hide your excitement on my account. My apologies, Your Majesty. It's just that Emer's older sister has not yet married. And as you know, it is custom that the eldest be married first. Surely you can make an exception. I'm sorry, but I cannot bring shame on my eldest daughter by marrying off Emer first. Otherwise, of course I'd accept in a heartbeat. After the feast... Konkabar told Kukulin of Forgol's rejection and quickly hurried him out of the castle. Kukulin was furious, and Konkabar worried what he might do if he lost control of his anger again. When word reached Emer of what had happened, she marched into her father's chambers. You didn't even consult me. I'm your father. I know what's best. And you refused because of some tired old custom our people don't even follow? I did it for your own good. Kukulin is a dangerous madman. He might have been all sweet words tonight, but I've heard stories. In battle, he becomes a monster and can no longer tell friend from foe. What if you displease him and he kills you in a fit of anger? He's wise and kind. He speaks the druidic tongue, for goodness sake. He may be a warrior but he's also a scholar. Oh, you're blinded by lust, Emer. The answer is no. You're making me into a spinster, father. If I don't marry Kukulin, then I won't marry anyone. Forgal mulled over his daughter's words. He did love her, but he also needed her to meet a good husband, and that couldn't happen with Kukulin waiting at Emen Maka, ready to pounce as soon as Emer's sister had been wed. Over time, he thought up a plan to remove Kukulin from the list of suitors permanently. Forgal had heard of a warrior woman named Skatok, whose training was so brutal that many warriors did not survive its rigors. If Forgal could convince Kukulin to undertake the training, chances were the same fate would befall him. But if Forgal suggested the idea himself, Kukulin would realize that Forgal had deceived him to keep him from marrying Emer. So, disguising himself as a traitor from Gaul, Forgal made his way to the court of Emen Maka. He was welcomed into the castle and into a dinner that the king and Kukulin also attended. Forgal watched as Kukulin sulked throughout the meal, still upset over his rejection. After the meal had finished, Forgal spoke up. I think Ulad has the best warriors in all the land, but the king must not agree. If the king truly thought his warriors were the bravest and strongest, he'd send them to train with the best. 
You question my judgment, stranger? Not at all, Your Majesty. She is a harsh teacher. They say the unfit do not survive. The Ulstermen have no match. I would send any of them. I volunteer. Send me, Uncle. I'll leave tomorrow. Are you sure? Scottok's training is said to break men before the sun sets on their first day. I'm sure. Without Emer, there is nothing left for me in Ulad anyway. Forgal smiled to himself. Kukulin had taken the bait, just as he planned. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday as we follow Kukulin's perilous journey through Skatok's training and adventurous return to the love of his life, Emer. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Claire Epstein. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Sky King, Kathleen Nielsen, Steve Pinto, and Monib Raymin. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.